Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Dan DeGrace, and welcome to Mental Health Monthly. Uh, this is a platform that Chief Rhodes gave myself and my co-host, Chris Muscle. Um, I'm a retired battalion chief out of Chicago. I've been retired now four years, and I do a hump day hangout with Rob Fisher every fifth Wednesday of the month. This is another platform that uh, Fire Engineering, again, uh, David Rhodes offered myself, and I'm going to kind of introduce my co-host, uh, Chris Muscle, and then let him kind of share a little bit about him because we're coming from this, from we're coming from kind of two different generations. Uh, uh, I was born in 64 and Chris in the 80s, and um, I'm a baby boomer, and Chris is a millennial. Whatever that means to any of you, we're going to kind of have a conversation today about uh, what the generations are in the fire service. I mean, the fire service has been around for a long time, and it's going to be around for a lot longer, too. And um, we're just going to have a conversation today about that and what it means then and now. Uh, Chris, where do we find you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I work, uh, live in Dallas, right outside of Dallas. Um, I work here in the Metroplex. I spent four years in the Marine Corps Infantry. I've been a firefighter paramedic, second department, uh, two departments for about 15 years, and also worked uh, as a flight paramedic for a while. So, Yeah, for those of you that know me and or Chris or get to know us, um, back when I got on the job, you didn't have to be an EMT. You didn't have to be a medic. Uh, you were considered a first responder in a sense, whatever that means. And people call fire personnel first responders. But back in the 80s, we just had to put Band-Aids and splints and get people into the ambulance. Uh, you know, that, that was what we did back then. Now, gosh, I tell you what you all have to do from a training and education and deliverable is so far beyond what we ever intended. I, I think anybody from my generation would be like, holy cow, you're all doctors. I mean, we all called ourselves doctors back then, even if we just put a Band-Aid on somebody. But from a paramedic standpoint, uh, Chris, you're a flight medic. Right. So I don't even know what that means. I mean, you're in a helicopter, a helo. And I think you even did that in the military. You're by yourself or maybe with one other person with that person's life in your hand. I mean, you're basically I'm going to call you a doctor. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of 
you know, and that was the thing with uh, as we evolve is, you know, you kind of had the flight paramedics and the flight nurses, and that was kind of like the higher level of care. But what's crazy is that is transitioning into the fire department world, that higher level of medicine. And, you know, uh, maybe back in the day you went to paramedic school and it was one textbook and now it's a stack of seven books. And that also plays into the mental health, right? Because now uh, these guys are holding themselves to a higher standard and they're expected to do more. And so uh, maybe if they don't perform or if I don't perform to the level that I thought I should, um, that creates some mental, psychological challenges, right? Yeah, you mentioned that. And, and really, my expertise was doing CPR, uh, you know, pumping a person's chest. And I would say back, <clears throat> going back to my first 10 times of doing CPR, I think all of them died or were dead. Uh, yeah, I learned in the academy that if you do CPR, you might keep them alive. I don't know if there's a thing called bringing them back, but uh, that was pretty much my first experience with with death uh, was CPR. Uh, and I, I think I remember going back to the firehouse going, oh, that, that didn't that didn't work. Um, and now you're again, just from a, from a, uh, an ability standpoint, one, you, you're so much capable when you show up on the scene to do so much more with all the equipment and the knowledge you have than I did 35 years ago from CPR, uh, when you were waiting for the ambulance to show up because there was no BLS and ALS rigs back then. Um, but we, I wouldn't say we felt helpless back then, but it was just that all we were capable of doing. If we couldn't do it, we couldn't potentially, we couldn't go beyond that, our, our scope of care. And from a mental health standpoint, it was like, oh, we, we lost another one. Uh, but it's different now with your skill level, right? It probably is plays more on you because you, I would assume, and I've really never asked anybody this, but from your flight medic, because you're, you're supporting the veterans back then, you're transporting them. And for the most part, you're transporting civilians now, but it's the same thing, life and death. You, you want to sustain life for that person. And if you don't, how do you wear that? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's tough, right? Because I think, like you said, we, we have more tools now. And so there's a two-part mental capacity to that. Of You have the tools, you have the knowledge, you have the resources. So you're expected to do more. And so when you do save somebody, that's a great feeling, right? Um, but then when you don't, it hits a little harder than maybe it might have back in the day. Because you're right, back in the day, when you look at cardiac arrest statistics with that example, it just didn't save a lot of people. And now people are walking out of the hospital left yeah, and right from cardiac what, arrest. What was that level What's back that? then? Like 5% or 10%? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very low number as to where now the numbers are super high. Um, and so when you don't save somebody, you're like, you, you almost expect to save somebody now because of 
the knowledge, the training, the equipment, the manpower, the response, all these times, right? All these things go into it. So now when you don't save somebody, you know, maybe back in the day, it was like, well, even when I started 15 years ago, it was like, well, we didn't save that guy, but you know, that's just what we're used to as to where now it's like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't we save that guy? What, did we not do something right? Did we not? Did we not? Right. And then you have the second, what I, what I like to think of as psychological piece of it is when somebody um, elderly passes, right? Maybe that's a little bit easier because they have lived a long life, whatever that looked like for them, right? Um, you just expect older people to pass. That's evolution of life. But it's when you have that younger person in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. And what the you know science shows you is those people really should live. And then you don't save that person. And now that's when it, it, it becomes a struggle, you know, and um, unfortunately, sometimes you walk out of the hospital and you don't have time to process it or deal with it because as you're getting back in the rig, you know, the tones are going off for the next run. Right. And so you, then you start to compartmentalize and compartmentalize and stack and stack and stack. Yeah. Not just EMS, but uh, fire as well, when you look at the run totals for departments across the country, they just continue to go up. I mean, there's more people in the world, right? And right. so back when I got on a job, there were 250 million Americans in the United States. Now there's 340 million. There's more high rises. Um, so there's definitely going to be more calls. I, I don't know if there's more fire personnel. And if we look at from a uh, manpower or um, so if I use the right terminology, uh, um, struggling here with it. Uh, so sometimes people could look at manpower and, and go, okay, that's sexist. I won't get into all that, but personnel, right? The, 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 the people Staff that are there. Staffing is is probably a more appropriate word, so I'll, I'll use that. Um, I, I know for us in Chicago, we had it in our contract. So there was a definitive number of staffing, but I know with brownouts and uh, personnel that want the job and uh, people moving around, the staffing levels are are slim. The overtime is high. So not to make it, and again, our goal is not here to talk about the fire service as a bad career, but we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to be somebody in the fire service and EMS world and the totality of that and what it takes from a mental health perspective, the, the, the totality and the intentionality so that you can stay in the game, right? From a football standpoint, being all four quarters. So from, from a personnel standpoint, you got 15 years. So you're right in the middle of a career. I always thought I, I, I spent 30 years. I was, you know, again, middle of the road, 15 years. Um, what's the quality of personnel that are coming on the job now from a skill level from an EMS standpoint, we'll get into a fireside in a second, but from an EMS standpoint. 
Um, I think it, I think it varies uh, depending on maybe the area that you're in. But I know certainly um, back when I got hired on the job, you had to be down here pretty much fully certified to get hired somewhere unless you went to one of the bigger departments, right, um, in the area. As to where now you can't get people to come work for you, regardless of benefits, pay, staffing, uh, equipment, whatever, right? And then I think that also translates to why are people coming on the job now, right? Is the reason that people are signing up to do it today the same reason that guys like you and others signed up to do it 30 years ago? And there's certainly a difference there. Um, and, and you're seeing... Oh, so that leads, that's a great question. Think, uh, so so I, I got in a job because... I didn't want to be behind a desk. I ended up semi behind a desk as a battalion chief, but for the most part, firefighter, lieutenant, captain, you got to, as we would say, right, do it, right? Are you doing it? Um, yeah. We didn't get paid a lot back in the 80s, um, but we have a heck of a lot of time off. We'll get into that in a little bit in a sense of what that causes to our relationships and our mental health. But I got into fire service because you got to ride the rigs, you were out in the street, you got to put out fires. And yeah, we had to do a couple of Band-Aid things back then. That was really what we did back then. Why did you get on the job? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, coming out of the military, right? I kind of grew up in the fire service a little bit. But coming out of the military, the, the fire service was obviously paramilitary. And, you know, it was that um, high-speed energy, that adrenaline, that working in those austere conditions, right? And obviously genuinely being able to help somebody. I'll be honest with you, uh, I really didn't know a whole lot about the EMS side of it. Um, I wanted to be a fireman like every other guy. Um, and then down here in Texas especially, it's very integrated, right? And so you might be on the ambulance one day, you might be on the fire truck the next day. And so uh, that was another big learning piece of it. But I think that I obviously had a background of hard work and ethic. And even if I didn't, the military instilled that very quickly into me. Um, and so I understood the passion and the reasons. And it wasn't necessarily the paycheck or the time off or things like that that drove that. What I didn't understand was um, all the different mental components that would come along with it and the challenges and the trials and the tribulations. Yeah. So you mentioned that, and I want to get to that in regards to the mental aspects of it, but I don't know if I get, if I allowed you to answer the question in regards to the skill set of the people coming on the job. I, I can't, I think you alluded to it. I know the, for lack of better words, the, the the sample size, the number of people that are applying for the job is less and less. Um, yeah, I, I could get into the fact that when I applied back in '85, we had forty-five thousand people apply for the job in Chicago. Um, I, I've talked to other departments that used to have three hundred and fifty, and now they're lucky to get fifty people to apply. Yeah. So I would think naturally that 
that's that 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 high level skill set. Um, I think from a transferring standpoint, because that's happening more often, which didn't happen 30 or 40 years ago, people transferring from one department to another. But there's lateral transfers now, but from an, a skill set of coming on. Yeah. Same, lesser or higher. So I think it's definitely interesting. And I think, you know, maybe back in the day, even when I started, which 15 years ago, not long ago, I think the skill set was on the EMS side of it was not a uh, something super hard to make it or obtain. Right. Because medicine 15 years ago, this, the research wasn't there, the technology, the equipment as to where now, like we alluded to earlier in the show, there's this high level of medicine and this high expectation. And I think that it plays in a sense to the new generation where, you know, we're using camera technology and different technological pieces that, you know, these younger guys are really good at because they grew up in an iPad Air or an Xbox Air or something like that. And, and so they adapt really well to that. But sometimes what I think is missing is the work ethic piece to put in the sweat equity to get to that point. And so I think what you see today, maybe even when I started 15 years ago, most people, you know, they passed, right? Like, oh, they, they, they made it. They made it through their probation, EMS, whatever. As to where now, you either make it or you don't. And it's very uh, clear and it's very obvious. It's not like a you know, oh, well, this guy might make it. Like the expectations are higher and either they get it or they don't. And and so I think it's a totally different type of, of medicine as to where, you know, in the earlier years, it was just, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was a low level of medicine because that sounds bad, but you just didn't have all the modern day stuff that pushed it to the next level. And so it's interesting. It is. You watch the new guys come on the job and you know, maybe they're using a, you know, an ultrasound or something and, and they pick up on that super quick, right? Because they um, grew up in that technology driven air. But then you watch them try to conversate with somebody on a 911 call. And wow, that's where the challenge happens. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, remember right? asking, I remember asking the medics back probably about 15 years ago, how long they were in class, because I learned that I think the paramedic class uh, is somewhere around 13, 14 or 15 months now. I think back then it was four or five weeks. And yeah. um, I look at EMT, you know, back when I took it, I took it uh, a consolidated class, which was four months. I think some EMT classes are anywhere from three to six months. Uh, it's a lot of information. It's a tough test. Uh, not everybody passes it the first time, but from a paramedic standpoint, again, I, I was not, and I was always impressed by people that can do that. Um, it always amazed me because when I was a lieutenant and a captain and I was on an ALS rig and I had to be in charge of a paramedic, I'm like, they're not making me, they're not making me be a paramedic. I would have done it if they would have put me through class, but I just didn't want to do it on my own. That's my own thing. Um, I should have been that level to supervise somebody that, that is, has a paramedic license. So that, that's, that's my department. And I think, and my and I, 
Yeah. I think the other thing that we'll talk about eventually too is, uh, and it plays right into the, the generational thing is the frequency of the high acuity runs you're going on, whether it's a bad MVA, it's a bad EMS run, it's a house fire, high rise fire where you're pulling somebody out. Right. As to where, like you said earlier, with the population just naturally increasing in the country, those different types of high acuity calls are becoming more and more regular as to where maybe, you know, 15, 30 years ago, you're like, oh, I might go on this bad wreck or I might go on this bad EMS call. And, you know, when you did, you're like, wow, we went on that call. You're texting everybody. You're telling all your buddies about it as to where now you come in at, you know, shift change and they're like, oh, we had this bad call yesterday, example X, right? And you're like, oh, well. Huh. Interesting. Normal. Right. And so that's a whole different piece to it as well. The exposure. Yeah. Again, so many more people and so many more distractions causing so many more wrecks. Um, Yeah. And that means, like you just said, more exposure for the personnel that are on the job to respond to, which we don't want to be sitting in a recliner. We don't want to, we didn't get in a job to just watch TV and cook lunch and dinner. We got in a job to, as we said before, to do it, right? Did you do it? You know, are you, are you doing it? Get in the game and, and be a part of it. But with that comes a lot of exposure to events that the average person doesn't. And I don't want to get there yet. Um, I do want to talk about, again, the mental health aspect of it. But let's talk about something that people, like from a generational standpoint. Now, we met about four years ago, four or five years ago. And as I tell everybody, and there's a purpose for both of us to be on this show. Again, as we talk with people and have different guests on the show, is perspective, right? Because on a scene, we're all sizing up stuff and people have a perspective from their, uh, from their position, from their background, from their training, uh, and what I call self-efficacy, what they've been able to achieve throughout their career. When and I'll ask you this question first is so you see a guy and I'm 59, but you're 38, I believe. And you see uh, a 55 year old firefighter come into your fire station. What's your first thought? And not me, but just a, just generationally. Yeah. It's kind of uh, two-dimensional, I guess. That guy's got some street cred, right? Some experience. I think that that's the guy you probably want to follow into a burning building, right? But then the flip side to it is is maybe uh, that guy might not be as tuned up on the newer generational stuff that we're using, whether it's electronic equipment on an ambulance or, you know, it's electronic equipment on a fire truck pumping a fire, you know, he's old school, right? That's what we like to say. That guy's old school, right? And so you you have to look, I look at it that way. I'm like, that. that's the guy I want to follow right there. 
that's the guy that I want to go to for advice because he's probably been there before. But then you also know that maybe that's not the guy that is going to just pick right up on whatever. Because when he started, I mean, maybe they didn't have that. And, and, and if you didn't start with that, then, you know, it can be hard to pick up on midstream. Yeah. So I'll answer that question. You don't have to ask me, but uh, so when I got on the job and I was 24, right. I looked at the senior people as like giants and holy crap, man. Um, you know, even though I, 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 so I came out of college. So a lot of them didn't come out of college. Uh, I was lucky because I came out of sports and a lot of them were sports oriented and also many military veterans, but I didn't have that, uh, that gruffness. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm with a bunch of my dad's friends. And my dad was a cop and it was like, I was semi comfortable, but not, they, they really didn't say a whole lot, but you, you proved yourself with nothing but action. No words. Don't don't tell me anything about what you did. Just f- friggin' do it and don't complain. You learn that didn't go very far. Um, as I got older, regardless of my rank, I, and I have four kids and they're all in their twenties, but I found myself looking at firefighters that came on the job in their twenties, almost like they were they're in their teens. I'm like, holy, is this person even old enough to be in a job? And even sometimes they're like 28 or 30 years old. I'm not saying that's right. I know that what I did, I had a tendency to, to judge. And I don't know if that's what the old timers did to me. Similarly, maybe a little bit different. Maybe I was more difficult on the the younger generation when they came on than the old timers were with me. I'm not sure. But what I'm saying is, is that as I got older, it, I, I realized I had to accept the change that was happening because it was a different generation. And I didn't do that always smoothly. And I'm not telling everybody that you have to do that. But again, our conversation today is generations and we're 25 years apart, but have had many conversations uh, about the fire service. Uh, You coming from the military, you're very respectful of, as we would say, your elders, right? As myself and many people that you know in in, in your career. Uh, but it's it's different, right? Because I know that when I was an officer, I looked at people, the younger ones, like with the with with the EMT stuff and the paramedic stuff. I'm like, do your thing, man. Just just do your thing. But from a mental health standpoint, I've always been in the mental health field since the 80s. Um, but I can't say that I've always been understanding and supportive as much as I should be to the individuals 
as they're exposed to the numerous events that happen on the job. Part of that had to do, I honestly, because of the way I was brought into the academy or into the fire service. And I'm like, I'll, I should treat them the same as I was treated, not in a bad way, but you do what you know. It wasn't until I really thought about how I interacted with people. And I've always been around uh, assessing people's mental health. I've been a certified addictions counselor since 91. Like I said, I've been in behavioral health since 86. Um, but from a, from a mental health standpoint, like we started the conversation, the amount of runs, the fires definitely are, are down. The amount of injuries and deaths that you're exposed to is significantly more now than it was 30 years ago. I think you know that. How does this generation, how do you guys talk about that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, from my own personal experience, you know, being in the military and then coming on and even when I started in the fire service, it was still that mentality of, you know, the senior guys didn't really talk to you much. You were going to earn it, right? Be seen, not heard, two ears, one mouth, that whole thing. Um, and, and so nowadays, I think that you still try to instill instill some of that because it's it's very complex right um as to where with the newer generational maybe they're not they're more welcoming from day one and they're more you know talkative and and they're more welcoming which is okay but still creating that high expectation one thing that i do know that i have learned uh, maybe not always the easy way and it certainly wasn't a linear path is that in today especially with the younger generation is that it's okay to not be okay, right? As to where uh, maybe in the past, and we talk about it all the time, it's, you know, you know, are you good? Yep, I'm good, right? And that was just the that old school giant, like you mentioned, or, you know, the legend of the 55-year-old guy. You, you didn't want to let him down, right? And, and you looked around at all those old guys, uh, older guys, <laughs> and it was like, after a bad run, you're like, Oh, wow, those guys are all good. Well, dang, I guess I'm good too, right? As to where with no, the younger no, generation. Let's not forget about the fact that there were older women on the job too, and but there weren't as many of them, so they were isolated. Right. So just yeah. from a uh, population right. standpoint, we're including them. Right. Older men, women, right? Um, I think sometimes I use the word guys when I'm referencing all, but as to where now uh, with the, the younger generation is a lot of these guys either have no problem telling you like, Hey, this is bothering me. Or my opinion is that you see it right. Sometimes, you know, older guys are back in the day. It was real hard to read people as to where now with the younger generation, you know, you wear your emotions on your sleeve, facial expressions, you know, your ability to have the mental fortitude to power through to the next call or the next assignment, right? Coming off the last bad run or bad job. Now it's easy. You can read it. And so I think uh, 
as the fire service evolves, we're uh, creating this culture of it's okay to not be okay, right? And it's okay to express that as to where maybe that didn't happen before. And if it did, it was probably more sporadic here and there, right? But I think globally, that just wasn't something. And, and, and really, I'll take it a step further and say it was the same for the military, right? When I was a rookie in the military, you know, we called them boots when I was in the Marine Corps as an infantry guy. You know, when you were the young guy and you're looking up to your senior guys and you're trying to prove yourself, it, it was very, you're a robot, you're a machine. And obviously I'm out now, but I talked to guys that are still in and they have normalized the mental health piece of it, right? They have mental or they have normalized that I'm not good culture. So I think it's, uh, you're seeing it, which kind of goes back to the whole paramilitary thing. So you, we've used the word mental health, right? Is that a favorable, unfavorable? Is that a, a good term? Our title is Mental Health Monthly. Uh, how do you think people receive that? I think that in the past it was unfavorable. I think in the past you threw out the term mental health and people were like, oof, mental health. Right. Same with PTSD. Oh, PTSD. But I think that now mental health, the term, the everything about mental health is becoming favorable. I think the culture of mental health is becoming favorable. And I think if there is, you know, a fair department out there or an organization out there that still has that oof mental health, like maybe they don't want to hear it, they don't like it, they're scared of it. I think that you almost have to take an inner look at what are we doing that's not allowing that term or that culture to be okay. Yeah, I can tell you that both, and, and I ask people that, uh, I know we're doing this show together. Uh, we're gonna ask a lot of, we, we have and we will ask a lot of people that same question because historically when I've talked about that or people have talked about it and there's been trainings on that, it's inherently the stigma is negative right. when you bring up the word mental, mental health. Uh, and the same thing with being okay is in my 30 year career, I can't say that there's no way that I was, a hundred percent every single day, physically, mentally, or emotionally. I'd like to think that I could have been, but it's like sports with all of us, right? Is that you you watch professional football and they're checking on people. There's no way everybody's a hundred percent when they're going on that field. Uh, we would like to think that everybody that's a medic, a firefighter, an officer, Whatever your title, rank, uh, years of experience, it, it, what what we're going to talk about, right, is overall mental health. And mental health is just a general term about our brain and our body and actually what that means. Uh, yeah. I'm saying this not only... I'm saying I'm not saying this to you, Chris, because you know that 
But for anybody that's listening, this is our discussion. This is our platform. There was no platforms like this in the fire service uh, from a podcast or, or a webinar 10 years ago. There, there have been now, and, and people are out there that are talking about it. There's individuals that have podcasts, and thanks to fire engineering and, and editor-in-chief and education director David Rhodes, we're doing this, and we're going to continue to do this monthly. Uh, and so from, from, from my standpoint, from mental health, for anybody that's listening, is that it has to be okay to to have a discussion about mental health and limit the the the, the stigma and the negativity around it and have an open discussion about that. I mean, I don't know how many fire departments and there's thirty five thousand fire departments across the country. I think there's eighteen thousand law enforcement agencies across the nation. Uh, a lot of police do psychological testing. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not going to get into that debate, but maybe another day we, we can. Some departments do that. From a mental health standpoint, it's the same thing with what we put in our bodies to eat today to make us sustain our ability to go to, to, to do what we need to do and to feel good. It's no different in the sense of what we see, what we s smell, what we, what we taste, what, what, what we touch and what we hear, all the senses and how we can manage our overall uh, mental and behavioral health throughout one's career. I don't know if I was standing on a soapbox yeah. right there. Yeah, I well, I think it's good. And I think something else that's worth discussing for a second is, you know, we're talking about your generation, my generation, right? Two totally different generations. And if you if you look at the fire service, in my opinion, it's starting to become majority of that millennial generation, right? And obviously, you retired guys you hired in with have already retired, or they're getting close to that point, right? And so now you're starting to see this shift of your senior guys are starting to become that millennial generation. And I think the guys from maybe your generation or others that are still left, um, if you were to ask me, they owe it to the next generation to take the lessons learned and, you know, whether good, bad, or ugly, especially in the realm of mental health and pass it along to the next one. Cause we do it with everything else. We do it with fire strategies. We do it with tactics. We do it with rescue, right? We do it with EMS. I mean, EMS is always evolving, but has there ever really been, right, this pass on of mental health? And and so I think that is really important. And, you know, maybe when you walk, if you walked into a firehouse 20 years ago and you said, hey, guys, you had a bad run. We're going to bring in peer support. They'd probably look at you and laugh at you, maybe call you a few choice words and tell you that you're crazy, right? But I, I, I don't want to promise you, but I would like to think, and I've seen it myself, now you walk into a firehouse that's predominantly millennial and you say, hey, I know you guys had a bad run just now, 
we got peer support on the way. They go, okay, cool. Do they want to stay for lunch? Because we're cooking. You know what I mean? And so that is something that you have to stay ahead of. And I think that's comes down to the individual, to the company officer, the battalion chiefs, all the way up to the fire chief, right? The organization is changing. We don't, you know, people will say we don't fight fire the same way today that we did 60 years ago, right? We shouldn't be attacking mental health the same way today that we attacked it 60 years ago if there even was an attack on it. Well, we're supposed to be higher education learning beings, right? So uh, your last statement is, is is true, right? Things don't stay the same. We have to evolve, just like we talked about from the EMS world, right? All the things that you yeah. have to do on that rig uh, for people, it's the same thing we should do for ourselves with the exposures that we have from a and, and again, not just talking from an EMS standpoint, but just from an overall, uh, gosh, what a, what a firefighter has to do, right? You have to be, right. you, you have to pretty much know how to do everything, right? That's why they call 911. <laughs> yeah, Jack, I like to say jack of all trades, master of none, which, I mean, I, I use that jokingly um, because you can be a master, but the cool thing about mental health and really buying into it is the fact that it can touch every element of the job that you're responsible for, like you just mentioned, right? The fire side of it, the rescue side of it, the EMS side of it, you know, the community side of it. And so, you know, you might, maybe you go on a bad run and it had nothing to do with EMS. Maybe you just couldn't make the grab. Mental health affects it. Maybe you're on the ambulance the next call and it's it doesn't even have to be a critical call, right? It could just be a bad family dynamic situation that you are called out to. Mental health touches it, right? And so um, every single day, mental health is happening. And I know we're going to get into it more um, down the road and stuff, but the mental health doesn't only affect you when you show up every third day or for your tour or whatever that looks like, right? Compound that with what's going on at home. That's a whole, now you, now you really, you know, you got family, you got kids, you got outside jobs. Cause we know every fireman has an outside job, right? All these different things compounded with the responsibilities of the job. Yeah. We're more than just a, a firefighter, right? You got family, you're, you're a dad, right? You're a husband. I am as well. Yeah. Maybe down the road, I'll be a grandfather. And uh, yeah, continue to learn on this whole mental health standpoint. So uh, I want to be clear. I think we did talk about this in the sense that this mental health monthly conversation is going to be a variety of different things that is going to be directed more from a positivity standpoint and from an ability standpoint uh, and include generational changes so that people can be prepared and capable to sustain a long and quality life 
and career in the fire service. I went to work for 30 years and um, while I had some tough days, never a, a bad day because I was going to work in a job that I loved and I loved it every single day. Curious if in your 15 years, that's the same mentality. Oh yeah. I, I, did I have off days? Yeah. Did I have hard days? Sure. But did I just ever have a bad day where I was like, I don't want to do this job anymore. And the answer is no, because every time I went to work, it was a new day. Right. Um, and I also think that, you know, growing up, you know, going to the military and then even when I was in school outside of the military doing hard jobs, right? Manual labor down here in the Texas summer. I think that plays into it, right? Um, knowing what the alternate was, right? And you're like, man, this was a hard day, but it sure beats doing X or it sure beats Y. So um, I think that, no, I never just had a day where I didn't want to do it, but I also knew I was in it for the right reasons. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever said anything to you about this, is that I remember uh, I knew nobody in the fire service when I got in a job. I knew nothing about the calendar, shift work, daily days, what color, days, whatever. It's like, holy cow, they gave me this calendar. And we were driving to the firehouse after the academy. And I didn't even know if we worked eight hours, 12 hours. And I understand there's different shift work. Uh, we were 24, 48. And, you know, I didn't do the math. And, and, I, and I said, what is all this stuff? Well, your first shift. I'm like, so wait, so it's one, two, three, red, blue, and black. That's how we did it. And I said, so what does that mean? He goes, you go to work on those ones and red days. And I'm looking at it in a month and I'm like, but that's only like eight days. And the guy's like, yeah. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And, and, and he goes, yeah. And then there's these letters, A, B, C, D, E. We used to have F, but we only have five now. He goes, you got a, a daily. And I said, what the hell does that mean? And he's like, well, you're off that thing. I, I said, come on. There's no way you're setting me up, man. They're, 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 this, that's that's crazy. I just came from a job that, you know, I was working almost every day, not making as much. And, and again, we didn't make a ton of money back then. But I'm like, you're telling me I only work the ones that are red and the alphabet that doesn't include an A. Yeah, I'm like, I had the freaking lottery. I already knew I hit the lottery getting getting on the job. I don't care what department you get on. <laughs> I just, again, from, from my generation, uh, I, I didn't know that. And it ended up being 86 days out of the year because of our daily day and our, and our shifts. And then at the, tw we got about 15 years ago, we got what, what's called the dinosaur day 
after 25 years. So you only worked 85 days out of the year. Anyhow, uh, it just, again, from a, from a mental health standpoint, yeah, we worked 24 hour shifts and there were days, there were days in my career, we had no runs and there's days where I only got to sit down for a half hour. We all know that. Um, but when you get those two days off, there, there should be some intentionality in the sense of re- recovery, right? You run a marathon, you got to have recovery. Yeah. You, you're stressed out. You got to do your parasympathetic and rest and digest. Working out is fine. Running is fine. But there's got to be some way that you can rest and recover and repair, not just from a uh, muscle mass, but from your brain. I didn't know that for a good portion of my career uh, because it was just go, go, go. What's the mentality now? Because you're you just you guys just switched to McKinney to a little bit ago, forty eight ninety six, right? Yeah, January first. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, right now. I think that people are trying to kind of figure out what that four day off balance looks like. I think when, you know, it's a 24-48, I think they'll, uh, you know, the senior guys, they had their 48 hours off dialed in pretty well. But I think with the, the younger guys, and, you know, this is something that we have to be aware of and try to address is that 48, they're just so excited to be on the job, right? Kind of like you said, everybody remembers being a rookie on the job. You just want to go and you want to make runs and you want to do all this stuff. And then when you're off, you just want to go, 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 right? You just, life is good. You got a good job. You're making good money. And so when your day's off, you want to enjoy it and celebrate it. And, and, and so I think that's something where you have to, and I did not learn this the easy way, um, but you have to find that pace. You have to find that balance. And you almost have to be a little bit selfish for yourself in the sense of, I'm going to take care of myself. Like you mentioned, you know, of course you want to work out and you want to go hang out with your friends. You want to go to the the ball game and all this stuff. But what is looking, what does it look like taking care of yourself? Because um, obviously I did not make a lot of money when I hired on even as a firefighter paramedic, the pay back then was about half, maybe a little less than what it is now for a rookie coming on the job. And so, you know, I worked part-time at this hospital and I worked part-time at this fire department and then I became a flight medic and, you know, trying to support my, my wife and kids. And it was just go, 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 go. And then eventually, um, you know, your body says I'm out, whether it be physical, mental, or both. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the, the key is finding that balance. Cause I, I don't know how it was up there in Chicago and those areas, but I know down here, nine out of 10 firemen have firemen have a part-time job. Right. And so uh, you're essentially working. A lot of guys are quote unquote working two full-time jobs, but it's like, when do we have a break for ourselves? you know, and what does recovery look like for ourselves? And we've put such a stigma on mental health in the past that, 
you know, I will tell you with the younger generation, one thing that I see quite a bit and, and in my own experience, and we'll get into it someday on the show is, um, you know, like going to a counselor, right? You see the, you know, uh, senior guys, right? Some of the senior guys are even myself, 15 years. I have no problem going to a counselor. I have no problem advertising. I'm going to see a counselor, right? I do it weekly. Yeah. I think you know that. Um, but you maybe have a 22, 23 year old guy on the job who's young and you, you make a bad run or a series of bad runs and you're like, Hey man, no, 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 won't you go, won't you go see the count? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And that's what you hear. And it's almost like a broken record. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good until it's not. And that guy winds up in a crisis. Yeah, I think there's more discussion now than there was definitely back when, you know, I got a, so kudos to your generation and the, and the current generation that is willing to go that route. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's 50% of the population. There was informal peer support. There wasn't really formal peer support. There was CISM after a critical incident. But from a proactive standpoint, there really wasn't throughout the country the conversation. And certainly nobody would give to people like us uh, or anybody the platform to talk about mental health uh, in a monthly platform, right? Just get in there, yeah. just, uh, buckle your chin strap and get in. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we covered a yeah, lot of different gonna... things. From... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, I want to be clear in saying that I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, the older generations or the, hundred years of firefighting before my time did it wrong or didn't get it right. I just think that, um, times are changing, right? Like we've talked about frequency of events, frequency of high acuity calls, responsibility, right? Yeah, I think you made that pretty clear, um, whether it be firefighting, rescue, EMS, uh, community involvement, right? The, the fire service is different today than it was back then. So that's no, uh, that's, there's nothing saying that those guys didn't do it right or they didn't do a good job. It's just completely different shifts. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, um, no, good discussion. Again, we've talked about, uh, different generations, the EMS skill set, the personnel that are coming on a job, the hours change, mental health in general, people's perception of mental health. Are you okay? Uh, a lot of different things. Again, thanks to fire engineering and, and you know, current editor in chief and educational director, Chief David Rhodes, my former uh, buddy Bobby Halton, who was in those positions before, that allowed me to do stuff with Hump Day Hangout. And uh, with this platform, we're going to have we're going to continue to have these discussions. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, out of curiosity, Chris, uh, what's the temperature in Texas right now? 
Oh, it's, it's pretty cold. We're not in a good place. We are not okay. 24 degrees. We're not okay. We're not, we're not above uh, zero yet. Uh, so whenever this, whenever this airs, uh, people will remember that, that cold air that came across the country and got all of us. So. Yeah. Chris, always good to see you. Until uh, next time. You too. Fire Engineering Nation, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com.